So it's, it's tough running next door, is it? I ran all the way to the back of the parking lot. Really? Where I'm parked. Yeah. Okay, so I'm out of breath. All right, so um, do you need a minute or should we just go? And we're back. And we're back. Welcome to Recovery in the Middle Ages, the podcast Welcome. about two Welcome. middle-aged suburban dads and their pursuit of life, love, and recovery. I'm Nat. And I'm Mike. And, and boy, boy, do, do we, we have, have a show for you. you. <laughs> Welcome, Welcome to... Oh, are we supposed to keep doing that? Probably no. not. You do that. Welcome to a very special pre-holiday panic and anxiety edition of Recovery in the Middle Ages. Visit us on Facebook, Twitter, Apple Podcasts. Rate, review, and subscribe. Good reviews will be read on the air. Yeah, do we have one? Um, yeah, we have a really good one uh, from our good friend, that AA guy, Jeff. Uh, and he promised he would listen to the show and uh, send us some comments, and we're very appreciative of it. Wait a minute. Are you saying that that's not that AA guy? It's not the same Jeff guy. Jeff is that AA guy, isn't it? No. Totally different Who's, guy. Oh, I'm sorry, Jeff. Which guy? I mean, he's an NA guy, but he's not an AA guy. So what happened to that AA guy? He just disappeared. That's our fault. It's You know what it is? We keep scaring people away because whenever anybody writes us, we're like, come on the show, yes. come on the show, and then you never hear from them again. <laughs> They're like, we don't, no, we don't want any part of that nonsense. You have to play coy. Like, my producer will call you, and then yeah. I'll call from a different number, my right. wife's phone. Right, disguise your voice. Yes, hello. I understand that you want to be on the show. <laughs> Um, we have Russian producers. This is an older ship dog. Do you want me to read this? Read it. Okay. Okay. Here it is. Uh, Five stars. Here it is. Five stars. Funny, witty, charming, and helpful insight, I guess, because they cut it off. Mm-hmm. Nat and Mike have created something special here with their podcast. They are a couple of guys that any husband or dad can relate to if you're an addict, alcoholic, or have an addiction problem. The podcast is as engaging as it is helpful. Bottom line is this podcast helps people stay clean, but here's the catch. You have to listen. You hear that? Facebook people who are not listening anyway, so this is pointless saying this. I tell my kids that all the time. Kudos. I don't tell my kids to listen to this. (laughs) No. (laughs) Listen. Kudos for being creative and unique in your approach to addiction and recovery. The world needs a ton of healing these days. Ain't that the truth? And you guys are part of the solution. Keep up the good work, and thank you for helping me stay clean today. You are most welcome. Anything that Nat and I can do that makes that happened for you or anyone else we will do love uh, it that is so cool i mean that's when we started out with this um podcast you know that you know everybody says that if i can just help one person it'll all be worth it it's true but it is we've helped true. at least two or three now so i'm feeling really good you know especially going into the christmas season absolutely <laughs> jingle bells jingle bells jingle all the way um yeah, so do that thing. The Facebook, the Twitter, the Apple podcast, rate, review, subscribe. Um, did you say that already? I did. You know, oh, we're getting ready. Um, my brain is a little fried. So in, in this special edition, I'd also like to, to announce that we will have a special Christmas uh, holiday festivus uh, episode that we are in are we the real? process of putting together. Yeah. Uh, we've got a, an interview with the great... Jed from Church and Other Drugs to have sort of a discussion about, you know, his his recovery and how, you know, his faith informs that. Yes. Um, but uh, we'll talk more about that on the Christmas show because that's what it's about. Right. Um, right now we're just getting ready for a COVID Christmas. That's what's happening in our house. We're preparing, buying gifts. Um, no PS5 for my kids, but um, I think everybody's trying to get one. Oh, I have to. I have a confession to make Uh-oh. in the spirit of holiday confessions. What did you do? First of all, let me try and loosen up your headphone cord so you don't end up killing yourself. Thank you. Um, so, my, you know, my older son's been had a difficult year. Started with some lots of issues. And how old is he? Seventeen. He's sixteen. Sixteen. Uh, but you know, he's sort of locked into school. He's doing okay now. And we really wanted to reward him with the old PS five, or I should say the new PS five, which is impossible to lay your hands on Wait, with the CD. Input? Yeah. Oh, well, you got with, it. The, with the double. Yeah. You did. Okay. Well, cool. So, uh, <laughs> obviously nobody can find these things and 
except there's a bunch of enterprising people that apparently somehow got all the presale codes and went up and scooped up a bunch and dumped them on eBay for an obscene amount of money. Oh, man, I should have done that. Um, yeah, but I didn't want to do it, but I kind of figured, my wife and I kind of figured at the end of the day, you know, just do it. So we did it and paid too much. And But I emailed the guy right after I hit the buy button and I emailed him, I said, I listen, I'm, when... when I hope you're shipping this soon, and I really hope this isn't a scam. Yeah. <laughs> and he actually wrote back. Oh, so his name was like Snake Charmer too, and it's mm. like it's never never a good idea to buy something from a guy whose username has the word snake in it. But um, <laughs> better than Chunky Lover sixty nine at Hotmail dot com. Only you would know. <laughs> <laughs> so he wrote me back. He says, "Look, I'm trudging through the snow right now to go to the post office to mail it, and I'll send you the tracking number." Oh. And apparently, there's something in the mail. Now, I don't know if it's a box with a brick in it or if it's an actual PS5. I guess I'll find out next week. So you paid double, I'm assuming. I don't want to. Dis- no. Oh, my God. Well, I had a similar situation now. I didn't, for some reason, I was so incensed with the idea of paying double for that thing. Um, yeah, it, is it, it really burns my ass that I did. It does. But you know what? I, we couldn't find a PS5. And my son, is he's 10, but he's very into PC gaming and making, like he uses a computer, like a real computer, not like the, the phone. So mm-hmm. he's been using my 10 year old computer that I used to have when I was doing my recovery job, uh, as a paralegal, haha. Uh-huh. And, um, and it's very old. So I wanted to get him a new computer, a real gaming computer with a gaming card, you know, that's good in it. And, mm-hmm. and so I ended up paying, Almost as much as probably you did, because I got this sick gaming thing. It's a, it's made by Lenovo, so it's not like Alienware, but it's still like all of the components are sweet. And then I was like, crap, I have to get a, a monitor because his monitors don't <laughs> right. work with, it, it won't output in 160 megahertz um, and all of that stuff. So and in any case, the end of the day, you know, I could have bought probably a PS5. Or two. Or, well, <laughs> <laughs> So that's what's going on with that. Um, and then are you all decorated for Christmas? Um, what, what yes, is going yes, on? we are decorated you're the decorator. You well, did Halloween like a movie set. I don't know if you saw my outdoor decorations this year. Pretty nice, I, I have seen to them. say. I passed by your house on my way home. You should cast an eye towards my yeah. front door. I will. Yes, lots of lights and sparkle. I go for that Griswold <laughs> shit. Um, You're that guy on the uh, reality show who's yeah. like lost his life to buy, you know, and spend all his money on lights. Uh, listen, I'm, I'm an amateur compared to this. There, did you see the one guy in town who advertised on the local Facebook group? He's like, hey, I finally managed to sync all my lights to music. So I'm having a show at my house every half an hour it takes 20 minutes and i'm thinking jesus christ who's gonna be do you want people sitting in front of your house for 20 minutes like watching your lights go on and off probably he probably does does. but that's like a long time to watch a light show and oh but the the best was he had a little snip he had a picture of it Uh and it wasn't like anything it was like he just had like a ring of lights over his porch and a couple things and i'm like i'm gonna watch this for 20 minutes but you know a for effort right we should do it though as a show we should report on it we sh- we really should an interview. Throw, throw, throw we need a beat link. reporter on the ground. Yeah, who's, who's going to be our reporter? I want to do a beat reporter. Somebody yeah. who, who who's got on the beat, beat who got beat a lot. Yeah, or beatboxes. Um, <laughs> so so I don't know. Are we decorated? Yes. Am I happy about it? No. Uh, every year, my wife and I get into this fight about the real versus the fake Christmas tree. Mm. Now. I am an old man, and I have had real trees every year my entire adulthood, but I did not grow up with one. Right. I grew up in the 70s, and my, my parents bought their tree in the 60s. They just had a lava lamp? No, but it, even better, it was a shimmery gold tree with blue glass balls on, <laughs> on a rotating stand. So Christmas it, blue it balls. was incredibly, it was an incredibly majestic mid-century modern tree that just rotated and rotated. Where so, is that tree? And can we uh, get one? I took that tree for my own for a couple of years until all of the fake needles fell off and it looked very scrawny and I got rid of it. Yeah. But I, so I, I went through the real tree thing. My kids all have been growing up with real trees. But they're a pain in the ass. The, they drop the needles. I got to wrestle them out of the house. And then I'm pulling needles out of the carpet, do you out think of the dog's no, ass for like... Do you think there's no needles on a real tree or... On a fake tree? No, on a real tree, you don't have needles. Are you talking about a real tree? I'm talking about a real tree. Real tree, needles everywhere. Needles everywhere. Yep. I don't want needles. Well... I've had it with needles. It, I'm not, done with it. 
Okay. So I'm on the other side of this. So Mike and I are going to disagree on this one. Uh, and my wife is on the opposite end. Right. She wants who, a fake tree. Right. Who takes the tree out at, in January? I do. You do? I'm, I do all of that. Crap. Right. She just... Well, it decorates it and does everything else, but that's like one of my few man things. It does everything else. That's a big, yeah. it encompasses quite a bit, doesn't well, it? Well, you know, because every, every guy, every husband or boyfriend or whatever always does 90% less, except for you, and then, do my best. then they always crow about it to, to the wife. <laughs> like when I finish the dishes, I'm always like, I have to tell her. I'm like, yeah. honey, I did the dishes. Oh. She's like, what, do you want a medal? And I'm like, Kinda. I, I, I mean, do you have a medal? That's awesome. I give Erin. Uh, I, I practically make her a list when she walks in the door at the end of the day. I'm like, look at everything I did. Uh, so technically, you're wearing the dress in that family. If we were going to be old school, whatever, Beaver Cleaver. Fine, you know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm progressive. That you way. are progressive. Yeah. yeah, I'm the same way. I mean, I've been doing a lot more since I got uh, since I got clean, and um, I really feel like I'm making up for lost time honestly like constantly yeah. i'm always making up for lost time and i have to work that out with a therapist if i ever get one again let me ask you this though yeah. why do you want the real tree versus the fake tree because right. the fake trees now are, are so good you can barely tell the difference okay so here it is you ready mm-hmm. getting a real tree for one thing is an experience in itself so for me... Go to Home Depot, put it in the car. Not go to Home Depot. <laughs> oh, okay. No, that's not uh-huh. Christmassy. <laughs> we go to the local overpriced home store. That oh, you go to decked out. Heritage. Either, yes, that's where Hicks. we went this year. We went to Heritage. Okay. And so for me, it's the whole family goes, you pick out a tree together, um, then you go inside while they're wrapping it, mm-hmm. and you walk around and feel Christmassy. Yes. You look at all the Christmas crap, and you... Christmas it up, and then you all go home, and the family puts the tree in together. You decorate it, and everyone's got to water it. And yes, there are some needles, but in life, Mike, there will be needles. If the good <laughs> well, stuff sheds. Certainly, some of our listeners can identify with that. With the needles, everybody, <laughs> Christmas needles. That that if I were where you so are, that's with, what I, with that's my why. kids' ages. That's like, me. you know, you have a young, young, yeah. and then you know, ten year old, whatever teenager um, want to be. That we did that every year. Mm-hmm. I'm just done with it. Yeah, nobody wants to decorate the tree now. Yeah, and like and nobody true. cares, and you know, it's just my wife and I end up doing it. And I, I'm uh, almost ready to do it. I'm almost ready because um, a, a nice tree is like three hundred dollars if you get the fake one with all the lights. More stuff. than that, son. You get like a six hundred. Yeah, but like, yeah. yes, I'll spend that much in my lifetime. Or less. Well, if you're buying your trees buying at Heritage, tree. you're already paying a hundred like, bucks for trees. So like seventy dollars for yeah, yeah. seventy. Yeah, it's too much. How so, much do you people pay for trees out there? And we'd a place like to know. Where, where things cost a normal amount of money. I, I, yeah, <laughs> and, not and in New York. I don't go chop the tree down. People do that around here. That's, I have done that. Is it? And I don't want to do that. I just. It sounds weird. Five years, uh, six, seven years ago, I'm not went a out to a place in Suffolk County. You had to bring your own saw. It was. <laughs> it was pouring rain. It, Did they pay you to take the tree? It was $100. I cut down this tree. It was one of the ones that had the super sharp needles that you can't even go near it. So you still paid $100. Paid 100 bucks. Cut the tree down, and dragged boy. it back, put it on the car. Didn't notice that the middle was dead until a week after I set it up and all the needles fell off. And then I had to go out and oh. get another tree at Home Depot. There's like a family of dead wood elves like <laughs> baking cookies. I don't know. Man. Oh, no. No, no owls living elves. in that tree like in the Rockefeller Center. Uh, tree, so. Oh, man. And uh, we had a snowstorm. Um, yeah, if, was, you li- if you lived near us, um, there is... Or anywhere on the East Coast. Was it the whole East Coast? I think it was like Virginia up through Maine. It's a nor'easter. And maybe someone could explain to me why they abbreviate the word north in nor'easter. Isn't it like N-O-R uh, apostrophe Easter? Like Sounds old-timey. What is that? It's an, Why can't it be a north'easter? Well, it sounds like uh, or southwest. You know, our nor'easter nor'easter. Yar. And I just read Moby Dick, so I'm... Full on Ahab going crazy, but I and this is we're going to try not to ramble too much, but we've got a lot to. Some uh, people like the rambling, some people don't. Do they don't. <laughs> um, Aaron, Aaron, sorry, <laughs> uh, but this is important. We had this big major snowstorm. What I wanted to say regarding recovery and yesterday mm. is that I had probably the best day that in recent memory with my family. Awesome! It was so good that. Um, it is so good. I'm sorry, my phone's ringing. It was so good that uh, I was like... <laughs> that I f- good, huh? <laughs> Do you want to pause it for a second? 
All right, we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back. And we're back. And yesterday, I was I had the best day with my family that I've had in a long time. It was like Norman Rockwell, um, you know, snowing. The kids, I'm like, let's go play in the snow. And the, the night before, in the dark, we all went out at like 9 o'clock. Me and the I kids. I saw that pay- posting on I the had Facebook some cool, there. Man, we had a freaking blast. And my kids didn't fight. And my wife and I didn't fight. I mean, we don't fight, frankly. We I haven't like outright screaming match fought with her in a couple of years. We, oh, that's we just good. <laughs> that's good because everything was was me being, you know, high and lying all the time. Right. Well, so it's not really fighting; it's just you being an asshole. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. And um, and so yeah, so that my wife and I don't fight anyway. But you know, we're not always like lovey dovey or anything. Um, but you know, we're very. It was just great. It was a great day. Made a fire. We um, the neighbor, my my son's neighbor friend, um, came over and they played out. We walked over. There was like, you know, my neighbor. We walked there. Is Maddie home? She came out. Yeah. I took, you know, she came to our house. They baked cookies with my other son, and um, it was just like great. It was awesome. it was a great time. And I was, I've had this like, you know, when I'm at the top part of my manic upswings Mm -hmm. like it feels like you're high and a lot of people who have this have mania report that and there's one reason people don't want to get medicated is because you can go a couple weeks and feeling like holy shit you're actually getting high on life it it really is that way Mm -hmm. and i was feeling that and i'm like oh man this is like yeah. You know what I mean? Because when you first uh, when you when you first do drugs and you take that first snort of cocaine or heroin, your dopamine uh, is it the dopamine level? It hits it hits the yes. limit. Your brain has a limit, um, a line, let's say a red line that when your dopamine normally hits that level, you feel happy. Right. Right. So let's say with it, cocaine, you blow right through right. that. So that's why when you're sober, you can get a nice feeling from a, a warm breeze mm-hmm. or that feeling of seeing. Just know. takes a while after you stop doing coke for your so, receptors to reset themselves. Yeah. And that's why addicts, um, when they're in the depths of their addiction, uh, and on the way there, you lose interest in everything that you love mm-hmm. to do. And I had that same thing. I didn't want to do anything. And I have a lot of passions, probably too many. Um, passions and things that I love and want to do and plans, you know what I mean? Like this podcast, I've been thinking about doing a podcast for ever. Right. And until I was completely sober and my life was together, uh, and I said, I want to do a podcast and guess what? We did it. Yeah. And now we've got, this is episode 18. Follow through. I mean, it's just follow through. And it's like all that stuff I've always wanted when I was on drugs uh, my dopamine, I couldn't, in order to hit that level that makes you feel happy, you ha- you have to keep hitting that high level. And that's right. what tolerance kind of it's is. like the rat pushing the bar in the cage. Until he dies. Yeah. Right? But, I mean, just to, to thought that just occurred to me while you were talking is that that's why, and it's not an original thought, but um, people who are struggling in early recovery... Uh, their dopamine system hasn't reset, which is why things look, can look colorless and boring and which makes you, drives you right back out to use cocaine again because it's the only thing that gets you to, well, and after a while, it's the only thing that brings you to baseline, which is terrible. It took me about a year. Uh, People ask, like, I've been, I've been clean for two months. How come my, my life sucks? (laughs) And I'm like, cause you're sober two months, man. Not only that. I learned a lot from, you know, Gabermate. Gabermate, yeah. Good, I don't know. If, are we there yet? We're almost but, there. I want to say one more thing about yeah, using and getting uh, clean and feeling better. Um, the best analogy is if you think of um, addiction as a forest that is dead and, and the path into the forest, through the forest, is downhill. Mm. So when you are using, you're moving, you're walking into that forest and you're going downhill. Mm-hmm. And so if you walk in for six miles... How many miles must you walk to get back out of the woods? Oh, at least six. Six months, right? Not only that, it's uphill. So they, my advice to people getting clean and wondering when they're going to feel good is, how long did you use for? I love that analogy. How long did you use for? Oh, 10 years? 
It's uh, not, yeah, I, would, I don't but, think it's going to take 10 years. No, but... The body is more resilient. Yeah, there's definitely a sliding scale. So 10 years, you know, you need a year or two of, right. you know, before your body resets. Some people like myself and doctors will prescribe uh, SSRIs to mm-hmm. help correct your... Um, your brain chemistry and like me do you think that helps though or is it it just prolonging the inevitable because when you get those are hard to get off of too i got off them yeah i mean yes it is hard to get off of always do it with the doctor you're trying to reawaken your internal yeah in um dopamine and and serotonin system sure well that's like any kind of drug um where if you are introducing something that is produced uh, in your body. Mm-hmm. I think that's like endogenically. I forget the word. Um, if you, it, then your body stops producing it because it's getting it right. from the outside. Right. And because of that, your body suppresses making whatever that is, be it testosterone. If you're doing steroids, that's why your balls shrink. Hmm. Your body stops producing testosterone. And once you stop taking steroids, it takes time for your body to create its own, yeah. uh, you know, like that. So, but that's true with dopamine. It's true with, um, all of that stuff. So uh, when you're doing it with an SSRI, as you come off, your body isn't producing like it's supposed to. That's Mm -hmm. part of it, but it does come back. And, um, and that's what I did. And I'm not, I no longer on antidepressants. It's been a couple of years. Maybe I need it. I'm thinking about it again, as we discussed in the last show. Just to to carry on your analogy for, have you ever been to the Grand Canyon? No. Okay. So you go to the Grand Canyon and one of the hikes that you can do is you can hike from the rim to the bottom. You know how long it takes to get from the rim to the bottom? No. Not very long, like an hour. Yeah. You know how long it takes to get back up to the top? <laughs> Six like hours. Eight hours. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you really need to budget. You got to wear a donkey. And get the, a donkey. I mean, the whole thing, just I'm loving your analogy so much because on the way down to the bottom of the Grand Canyon, you're skipping along and everything is awesome. And you're like, this is the easiest hike ever. Right. <laughs> and you hit the bottom and you turn around to come back up and you're fucking miserable yeah. the whole way. Yeah. yeah but then yeah. when you get to the top, you feel an enormous sense of accomplishment. I don't know how much I, how longer I can carry your analogy but and the analogy ends with me getting a college degree right Um, oh yeah congrats by the way last last bit of um uh, little things or big things it's a big thing thing. i uh, a big thing i took my last final and i have one more class to go until i complete my 25 year journey to have a college degree um and i can't even describe the feeling of relief and joy with just the idea that I could complete this degree. This was yeah. very important to me. And for a long time, I suppressed it. And sometimes I lied that I, I said, uh, you know, on my, on my uh, resumes, I would just say college experience. I didn't say degree in. Yeah, yeah. And I was always frightened that I would be found out. I was frightened that someone would do a search and say, you say you did this, but you didn't. And right. get the hell out of here. Um, and so I was always just working from my, when once I got experience, I'm like, I don't need a degree. I've got 10 years of experience in the field. A kid right out of Harvard isn't going to be better than me in this job. So that's been weighing on me uh, my whole life, basically. So I'm very excited and I cannot wait to hold up that CAT scan diploma. They make them out of cats. You didn't know that? (laughs) 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 Used to be sheep. Yeah. I don't know. There's more cats around. And our good friend, Officer Thomas. Oh, uh, yeah. He's, the off- he's, a, he's my police officer friend, um, Thomas, which is uh, a pseudonym. Uh, he's been uh, giving me a lot of commentary in the show. And um, it's I, I do appreciate commentary. it, though. Yeah, he has funny stuff to say, and he, he's, he's cool with it. But he was telling me, um, <laughs> quote, I was having trouble sleeping the other night, so I put on your last podcast, and I felt right asleep. All right. And <laughs> That's just what we're going for. Um, so thank you, Officer Thomas. I'm hoping to get him on a segment, ask a, ask a cop. You know, anything you've ever wanted to ask a, a cop about, you know. Just one question, just just, do you blow or do you not blow? Yeah, anything. Yeah. I mean, he's not a lawyer, but right. still, they know all that stuff. Yeah. That would be a, a well, question for you, right? The cop would always say blow, right? Yeah. Because <laughs> he's getting collars. She's the gone lawyer from, would always say don't blow. She's gone from suck to blow. <laughs> Spaceballs. Spaceballs. Right. Um, and you know what? We were discussing last show, a book, Gaber Mate, which my friend Officer Thomas says, yes. you lost me on Gaber Mate. See, so and sucks. other people have said to me, that that's like the that was the best thing we've done in a while. All right. So who knows? Yeah, I think it's because it's telling him things he doesn't want to hear. Uh-huh. Well. Right. It's exposing truths about maybe himself that he doesn't want to 
want to know or think about. Maybe. You know I, mean? I don't know. Um, he drinks a little bit. Um, I can call him out a little bit because I'm not using his name. <laughs> Nobody knows who he is. Um, but in any case, we love him and um, hopefully uh, get him on the show and people can get to know him a little bit. Sure. Um, so Gabriel Mate, we lost him, but I don't know. Maybe we need to talk slower. We lost Gabriel Mate? No, we lost uh, Officer Thomas on oh. Gabriel. But, um, oh, oh, oh. All right. So last week we, we talked a lot about uh, some of his philosophies, some, yeah. of, some of the basics. On uh, The book is In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts. Uh, I've posted a link to our Amazon page. So it supports the show. If, if you guys buy anything from Amazon through that link... It will help us, and um, yes, we need help because <laughs> this show because we we pay for advertising, and uh, you know somebody's got to pay for that. So right. why not you people? Right, <laughs> you, and if, you're listening. Yeah, and we're having kidney tissues. We appreciate yeah. anything. Yeah. So of course, right? But uh, I, I kid. I all kid. right, Mike, take it away. Well, you know what I uh, just as a carryover from last week's discussion of of uh, Gaber Mate's theory of addiction, um, I thought it might be good to sort of flush it out a little bit and um you know he's he's definitely not a a uh a biological reductionist i mean sort of i mean i think he, that's where you lost officer tom <laughs> really you lost me at biomechanical biological reductionist okay so basically he says that we just need to avoid the trap of believing that addiction can be reduced to the actions of brain chemicals nerve circuits yes, or any right. other kind of neurobiological or isn't he a believer in the soul is that in the last third of the book? <laughs> I I'm thinking of something else. Never mind. Okay. Not him. Um, but along what lines of what you were saying that I was annoyed by last week, uh, he says that addiction is a human problem that resides in people, not in the drug or the drug's capacity to produce physical effects. That's what he says? That's what he said. Right out of the book. He doesn't say... He also says okay. other things, which make me question the consistency of his uh, yeah, I don't remember theory, that. but... Um, so um okay he seems to also contradict himself a little by saying that there are biological differences in the number of neurotransmitter receptors that different people have right Mm -hmm. that depends on genetics so some people are more prone to addiction than others regardless of what their early childhood experiences are although he also says that the early childhood experiences are the number one predictor yeah, that's that's his thing. He, yeah. he, you know, the child, everything that happens. It's a, is that Freudian when when you go back to a childhood uh, trauma? I, I know, Freud had a whole scaffolding of that involved sex and the desire to kill the father and have sex with sex the with the mother, right? Yeah. Edible complex. Which, yeah. So Mate isn't saying that, but yeah, I don't. I don't think he's a, a Freudian, is, but I don't know because you know. I mean, he speaks a lot about psychology, but there really is a lot of biology underlying the psychology, you know? Right. And then, you know, but then he gets away from the biology by talking about the Vietnam veteran study. Did we talk about that? Where, um, you know, yeah. all those all those guys that came back from Vietnam addicted we, to heroin, right? right. And then we it turns a little out, bit. Yeah, then it turns out they, they were right. able to drop it fairly easily, Because right? their situation changed. Right. And so under certain shit. conditions of stress, people can be made susceptible to addiction. Stress is like his big, his big deal. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, but if circumstances change for the better, the drive for that addiction will abate. Yeah. Like uh, what he, he says in the book, addiction is a human problem that resides in people. Right. That's what I said. Right. Not in the drug or in the drug's capacity to produce physical effects. So, but that, I think he means the biolog, like it's, it's a multi-pronged analysis. Right, because it's bio- biology plus sociology. Right, so he puts a lot on the on the brain uh, and thinking and your experiences, um, and and then that's what's driving addiction. And he's mm-hmm. comparing what he's trying to do is take addiction to alcohol, to drugs, to gambling, to all of any kind of compulsive addictive behavior is just that it's a behavior yes. that is corrected by behavioral. It means correcting CBT, things mm-hmm. like that. Cognitive behavioral therapy. Saying mantras, like that thing that I did to stop like making fun of people in my mind was kind of like that. I, I did a mantra, a prayer every time I thought of it, and then all, eventually I stopped. So he thinks that addiction is the same, basically. Hmm. And therefore, the treatment for it should be similar for everybody. 
Mm. You know, even though everybody's different, still it's this overlying compulsive behavior right. and, and immaturity he talks about too. Mm-hmm. Perpetual adolescence that, that we see in addicts. Which he ties back to the development of the limbic, of the serotonin and dopamine receptors and increased cortisol in mm-hmm. kids as a result of separation from parents or having yeah. parents that were disengaged. So yes. it's really a, a, which would explain, you know, uh, he, the, the genetic theory that, that you inherit this gene, uh, he's poo pooing basically. There's no addiction thing in your DNA is what he says. Well, but he also says that some people like, like, some people have Just a like different number are, of neurotransmitters, so they're more susceptible than others. So is that a genetic condition? Um, that's, a, that's a genetic condition. Yeah, so is So being, susceptibility but is like, genetic. Is being mean to people a genetic thing? Like, you know what I mean? If you're the type of person that is like abusive, um, that's like a behavior like addiction. So would it be treated similarly? Well, I think we're getting away from the idea in science that... Um, that gene, certain genes are determinative of certain things, right? Right. I mean, when we're we looking first, at environment, yeah. you know, switching on or switching off different genes. And so it it's not so simple as this is the gene for alcoholism. Right. right? And they used to think that. And they did. what they are seeing more is that there's far fewer um, genetic markers. Or I'm not a scientist, but yeah. it, there's a lot less there. And so... Um, the idea that you know I've inherited alcoholism is is not is not part of his theory. But what makes sense on why people would think that from his point of view is because if the parent has this com- obsessive compulsive addiction, the child then gets traumatized because he's not there for him or she's right. not there for him. Right. He develops those same behaviors mm-hmm. uh, to cope, and um, and then it looks like he's inherited it, but really it's parenting. In, in that view. I'm not saying that's what it is, but mm-hmm. I think Trish's trying to get a grasp on what Gabor is trying to... Well, he puts a... Um, gabber. He puts a uh, premium on something called the Adverse Childhood Experience. Sure. ACE, as he says. Um, and the more of those that you have, the more your susceptibility to substance abuse increases up to four times. Right. So explain why I use. Why I, what, Why am I an addict? I wasn't abused. Mm-hmm. And that's what we talked about. That. Well, level of abuse like right. is neglect and abuse something that can be as simple as um the kid draws a picture and you ignore him and wants you to see it is it like you had to go on a work trip for a right. month jeez that's a terrifying thought because uh, everything's that you're like if you're a parent everything's your fault that goes wrong with your kids i mean i feel like you that know? anyway I, I sure um and i think a lot of parents out there might might feel that way it's probably not the case i don't think it is because there's a lot about my kids that I cannot take credit for, you know, as far as the good stuff. Like, there's also plenty of kids though that have shitty childhoods that, that don't use, come out, don't use, turn out fine. So what does that say? Yeah, look at uh, Michael Bloomberg. Who he was? Was it Michael Bloomberg? New York. He was an orphan, wasn't he? Was he? I think. I should huh. probably look that up. Huh. He had a rough upbringing, though. He was not rich. Hmm. And uh, you don't see him snorting coke on TV ever. Well, I don't know what he does when he's not on TV. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so you're speaking of mantras, though. That, that's yeah. interesting. You want to hear my mantra? Yes. Uh, you'll have to repeat it after me. I will. Okay. Owa. Owa. Tana. Tana. Siam. Siam. Fast, faster. <laughs> you're screwing me. <laughs> Go on. Owa. Owa. Tana. Tana. Siam. Owa Tana Siam. <laughs> You got me. Sorry, man. Uh, we are Sofa King. We Todd Ed. Um, my mantra is Om Shri Mahalakshmi Swaha. Really? Om Shri Mahalakshmi Swaha. Do you know what that means? Something about a couple of gods and things like that. There's some Hindu gods, I think. Yeah, I, I tried when on the um, when we were all quarantined. I listened to some uh, some stuff like that, Buddhist meditations, and mm. and I really practice it. Um, um, hold on a minute. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back again. Um, I realized to you people who are listening that, like, was no time. <laughs> we're just, it's sort of like when you get sucked into one of those time warp portals. We should probably, and you know, when we say we're going to take a break, we'll be right back. We should probably play some music or something so people can listen to it. 
And then be back. And then be back. We can play some of my old band's music. Ideally, if anyone would advertise with us, we could put an advertisement in there. <laughs> yeah, it'd be great. Um, but back to G- Gabor Mate and, um, you know, all of the, the parental um, abuse or neglect that causes addiction. Um, it's, it's interesting, and it's probably partly true. I think all of these different theories, genetic, uh, behavioral, um, I think that they could all be true because everyone is different. So, But if everyone's different. Yeah. Everyone's different. But can, you have, can you have like a bunch of different causes but then still have the this, same treatment that applies to everybody? I think that's what he's kind of saying. Mm. You know what I mean? Uh, I think this goes back to the unified field theory of addiction. So everybody's trying to figure that out. What is it? And AA has been saying it's this for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, 1938. Can you imagine if um, all of our medical knowledge today and all of what we know about um, the brain and all of that was based on everything and only written in 1938, whatever it is, 1940. Right. And, and that was gospel and nothing was ever developed and nothing ever changes. I don't believe that. In fact, it sure sounds like AA. It, <laughs> in fact, <laughs> I, 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 when you read the big book, if you read it, uh, they do say, and I should have quoted this, someone out there, will, that AA guy, please, you know, write me with that. But it says, you know, unless something in the future is developed, some medicine to, you know, kill your addiction, it doesn't exist now, um, but it may. You know, it's something along those lines. Well, it does, doesn't it? Well, yes, 100%. <laughs> and people don't even know about it. I mean... Well, I, not, not, not a magic bullet, right? No. Because no. there's no magic bullets. No, you, but let me you tell you... do the work. I struggled with that craving... For years, 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 years. And when I started on those drugs that are made to quell your um, your cravings, and they explain exactly how it works mm-hmm. medically. They, they know that, in, I think it's in your brain, there are these little, uh, they look like spheres. And when you're craving, they're shaking. And they're supposed to be a little stiffer. So they're loose and they, they shake when you're uh, craving. So now Trexone... Uh, I think Camperol does this as well. It it hardens those things. I, I we have to find out what the name of them are, and, and they stop shaking and that mm. or, or wiggling. They, they get a little bit stiffer. The it's kind of like a jelly, and that is the craving not being there. And so they can go down explained. into the into the body. You're talking about a physical craving or physical. A psychological craving? Because um, well, how do you how do you parse the two? Well, if if you if your well, body, the drug would work on one but not the other. Well, okay, so in my case, um, and maybe it's because by the time I started taking it, I had had so much therapy, AA, I read so many books, I had so many discussions with sponsors and other addicts, I was so ensconced and drenched in therapy and mm-hmm. all of in AA and all of that. So when I finally got these drugs being Camprol and Naltrexone together, um, after and I took it diligently and I didn't drink on it, I didn't feel like I wanted anything like cigarettes at that time. I quit cigarettes on that. And I took that for six months. That's really interesting. I took it for six months and I came off of it and the craving did not return. So maybe there needs to be a rethinking of the definition of, of a psychological addiction versus a physical addiction, right? Because I feel like the physical addiction, if you're not, or is there any difference between the two? Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, uh, physical and what are we saying? Mental, psychological, the brain is physical. Mm-hmm. It's a physical thing. And, and well, everything's physical, right? Uh, almost, almost. And this week in weird, we might talk about something that's real, <laughs> yeah. but not physical, but, um, you know, maybe like mental health disorders, uh, bipolar, schizophrenia really come down and I, they must to a physical thing in your body that can maybe corrected or assisted. And um, definitely the science for that and the medicine for that did not exist at the time of a lot of the writings that people swear and live by. Not that you can't get something out of it, but we have to embrace and try and be open-minded about what the medical world can offer. Well, so the paradigm needs to shift then because, you know, typically the, the thinking is there's only two physically addictive drugs, right? There's opiates and there's alcohol. Those are the ones that if you take them, take them away, Mm -hmm. 
you can die because your body needs to have that in its system in order to function. But what about the body has changed chemically to that degree? What about doing meth and your your dopamine and serotonin get screwed? Right, isn't that like a physical addiction? Not, it's not defined as a physical addiction. I feel like it should be. Like cocaine my, is yeah. not considered physically addictive, but as anyone I was who's addicted to cocaine, yes, as anyone who has had a cocaine addiction will tell you, and I certainly agree with this. You know, it's <laughs> it is addictive. It is very addictive. So yeah, maybe closing the gap on physical and um, and psychological is the future of a unified theory. Maybe to- yeah, tossing out the difference in definition. You Just know. call it addiction. But I, I don't think Gabor is doing that though, is he? I don't. I don't know. You have to finish it. Um, <laughs> I do. I do have to finish it. Yeah, he says the scientific literature is nearly unanimous in viewing drug addiction as a chronic brain condition. And this alone ought to discourage anyone from blaming or punishing the sufferer. Right. Except it doesn't, but it would be nice. Um, yeah, I mean, what do you think of it? I mean, obviously we agree with that. Um, another, what else do you have here is... I think the idea of incarcerating people who are addicted to drugs is insane. I think it's it's incredibly repressive and... It does nobody any good. And, and, and the society is moving in the direction of decriminalization. Um, and a lot of people are freaked out by that who are not addicts. And some and addicts too. We'll be talking too. about that on this uh, Recovering the News this week. And Recovering the News is coming up. Um, also, it says here on my outline, brain development in the uterus and during childhood is the single most important biological factor in determining whether or not a person will be predisposed to substance dependence and to addictive behaviors of any sort, mm-hmm. whether drug-related or not. That's a bold statement. but um, And then he goes on to expound on, on that, on how the brain develops and why that is the case and how you know the, the, uh, the issues with parenting resu- uh, result in increased cortisol mm-hmm. and screw with the opioid receptors. Um, yeah, well, there is an interesting so. um, a study here. They Rats separated from their mothers at an early age display permanent disruption. Mm-hmm. Permanent disruption. The, permanent of the dopamine incentive motivation systems in their midbrains. And as we already know, abnormalities in this system play a key role in the onset of addiction and craving. Predictably, in adulthood, these maternally deprived animals exhibit a greater propensity to self-administer cocaine. Right. So it's mom's fault. Yeah, I mean, look, we, we read books to my kids in the womb. We did stuff like that. Yeah. You know, I, mean, I would talk to the baby. Parenting, but, but here's the thing, though. Parenting is very different now than it was when I was a kid and when you were a kid. Did you get beat? I did not get beat, but, you know, Fer- you know Ferber was like the big guy back then, right? Like, if a, if a kid's crying in the crib, you let him cry it out. You don't go in and pick him up and comfort him. And and nowadays, it's the opposite. It's attachment parenting. You know, you I think my sleeps parents, in bed with you yeah. and all this other stuff. I had Dr. Spock. My parents were reading that book. Okay. Not not Spock from Star Trek. No, no, I know, I know who Dr. Book. Spock is. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, but, I don't know anything about him, but I remember hearing that a lot when I was growing up. Which? Dr. Spock says. Oh, okay. Because, um, because that would suggest that there's uh, generations of kids who were raised under this let the kid cry it out method, um, no overly, uh, no over affection from parents and so forth, um, that should have a propensity towards drug addiction because those are considered adverse childhood experiences. Are you sitting there taking selfies of yourself <laughs> while I'm talking? <laughs> That's sick. <laughs> Sorry. It's a, it's a good picture. Yeah. That's pretty phallic right there. With the mic next to your mouth like that? Yeah. That's, I don't like that. It looks like I'm being assaulted by a phallus. I'll post this. This is funny. But you were saying something important that I was ignoring. Uh, Now I've forgotten it. Um, Yeah, all these generations of kids who were raised with non-close parental contact, let the kid cry it out in the crib. Mm. Is that, or, or all those generations more susceptible to drug abuse and alcohol abuse? I mean, if you look at society today, do we have more addiction now or was there more addiction back then? Well, it certainly seems like there's more addiction, but... But I don't know statistically. That's like saying that today it's more contentious politically than ever. Um, it definitely is more I don't know, man. When you ask guys, um, uh, John Lewis, who passed away, and um, he, he f- would say, this isn't the most contentious time. I lived through the most contentious time in the 60s, the civil rights movement. I was beaten and thrown, you know, like... Yeah. From that perspective, you know, and, and what I always say is, because everybody is... It, really like oh my god it's armageddon with these people and in, in politics um is that we got through the civil war it 
it's not that bad. Our democracy will hold up. Now I'm getting into politics, but it will hold up. And, you know, maybe all of this, this fear mongering about, you know, what's going to happen and China is going to, you know, be co-presidents with Biden. And it's, it's abs- <laughs> you were talking to my son. That's, that's his current theory. It, it's, it's patently absurd. The democracy will survive. Um, um, well, I remember reading something a few years ago that every generation thinks that their generation will be the one to see the end of the world. It's it's just somehow baked into our the way we look at things, you know. I don't know if that's an ego thing, like you know, we're our generation's the most important, therefore the world will end on our watch. Well, we would never, you know? we would never call ourselves the greatest generation, and we would never be so presumptuous. No. Who does that though? The, are me- they? the media, <laughs> the greatest. <laughs> they label like to label things. Are they the greatest because they all gave their lives in World War II and went through all of that and built this country when it was great? Is that it? Like, why are they the greatest? Um, yeah, I think that's you know they saved the world from fascism. I'm going to get on to my bullet points on this. Yeah, on the, go, go right ahead. We're almost to the end years. Oh yeah, we did end. So some You're of the, notes, the one that started talking about politics it wasn't wasn't me. So some of the notes <laughs> I took. Um, Gabor was talking about this paraplegic mayor, um, or no, it was a quadriplegic mayor who who said that. It, this is in discussing drug addiction. He said, if they made wheelchairs illegal, he would do everything in his power to get one, even if he had to break the law. Well, okay. you know, which is an interesting point. And it's, it's one of those analogies, you know what I mean? Like we're talking about criminalizing addiction, right? If someone is in a state where they need their drug or their body's telling them they need this drug as much as a, para, a quadriplegic needs a wheelchair. If you look at it, of course, it's not... Um, you know, an apt comparison completely. But, um, I mean, what do you think about that? I mean, as far as decriminalization, you know, you shouldn't throw a person in jail because they need like something, their body needs something to survive as they see it. You know, I think it's not the best analogy, but Gabor made it. I mean, he did. I didn't Um, do it. He did. Because someone who can't walk is unable to function at all without a wheelchair but someone without drugs could conceivably function just fine without the drugs yeah and and you know what gabor makes some very interesting um points and it's almost it sounds like he's thinking out loud or he thinks the right thing to do i don't remember but he suggested that making a safer form of cocaine and heroin that is regulated would actually be good i think it would result in less people dying well yeah that's his harm reduction basically is ultimate harm reduction like Mm -hmm. that you know what I mean? Um, I mean, like if you could get uh, pure heroin that was a certain level of potency and sold it at Seven Eleven or something mm-hmm. like that, so the people, whatever, like you would have nobody would be in jail for being a drug addict, N- less uh, less overdoses, and you know less you know sneaking around and breaking laws. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, assuming that that sort of Social policy is accompanied by a sufficient amount of resources to get people off drugs, uh, then I think that's fine. But uh, I, you can't yeah. do one without the other. You can't just all of a sudden make everything free and legal and not have the, the treatment facilities uh, and the money to spend on them uh, in the background. And there's a nice quote here that uses a big word, quote, harm reduction is often seen as inimical to the ultimate purpose of curing addiction. Uh, and this was coming from a UK study uh, that showed and they, that every one pound that goes towards helping an addict get, um, get cured and all, not get cured, get treated instead of incarcerated, $3 or three pounds come <laughs> back in, in health and law enforcement savings. When I, when I first read that, um, I was trying to figure out what, what that meant because I thought you meant like for every one pound of Coke that the government would send out, it would get three pounds worth back in, uh, and they, yeah, for law enforcement. So I couldn't quite get that, but so part of yeah, that, I mean, that, though, make, that absolutely makes part sense. of that is you're put, you're giving people money to rejoin society, pay taxes, buy goods and services instead of the state paying to have them locked up. Right. You know, so you have to calculate that safe, get keeping people, you know, functioning society, paying their taxes, being good citizens, it saves money. Yes. So, so it's not a money problem. So, right. It's not a money problem. And it's, what is it then? 
it's a it's a moral problem. Um, People look at it as a moral failing. Socio political moral whatever bullshit it's bullshit. <laughs> Uh, in our opinion. Um, and another great point is that they say that uh, no con- there is no contradiction between harm reduction and abstinence, which I thought was very sharp. Um, like harm, like uh, I don't even understand what that means, frankly. Wait, what, what was I saying there? Harm reduction and abstinence are not mutually exclusive. Right. Like abstinence is still a goal. And, and that's important. Well, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's the goal for everybody. Well, that's the thing. You know, just because, you know, you're not completely absent, it doesn't mean that that might be a goal for a person. Mm -hmm. We're not saying give up and do drugs forever, or he's not saying that. Um, And I think that's an important point. Is he not saying that? What? That you should stop doing them completely? He's not an abstinence advocate? He, he wants... Or does he just accept the fact that it's a, it's a broad um, there's a broad panoply of different things that you can use to address addiction? Pretty right? much like that. Like, you know what? We're not giving up on abstinence for certain people mm-hmm. just because we're saying you know, have some Coke light or diet Coke, they could call it. <laughs> just because you're doing that doesn't mean we're walking away from abstinence. It means we're treating individuals in a more uh, in a smarter, more targeted way. Mm-hmm. Um well, for some people, if you have a system that's wholly based on abstinence, you're setting yourself up for failure, I think. Some people just can't can't get that locked into their heads. Yeah, it's just like... Um, uh, so, it's very- so, I mean, if you use naltrexone, right? I mean, I've been reading some of these alt-recovery websites where people will be taking naltrexone without the goal to stop drinking. They take it with the goal to reduce their drinking, and apparently it's successful for that as well. Yeah, and people and, who go from drinking like uh, six drinks a night to one and not wanting a second, right? You know, who who cares if you're abstinent or that's that's your your end space? Like I don't think that makes much of a difference. No, and and the other thing, the harm reduction and like needle exchanges. He was talking about needle exchanges, safe injection sites. Um, I keep forgetting the name of that uh, insight. I think it is in mm-hmm. Vancouver, mm-hmm. and he's basically also the point is. If you can get street addicts, we're talking people, you know, basically homeless people, a lot of them with mental health issues, uh, like it is rampant in addiction, but you get them interacting with a, a clinician, uh, a healthcare professional in order to do this stuff. So it puts them, it, it positions them strategically to sell, quote unquote, the services that can help these people. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, how do you make contact with someone with no phone, doesn't have an address, I mean, this is it. This is your chance to save these people or to help them. And um, so these needle exchanges and um, and safe injection sites um, make that happen on top of nobody overdoses and dies at Insight. Mm -hmm. Literally. They said, you know, people do overdose, but they're in a safe place and they can be Narcan. And, you know, they go through that with uh, a nurse who's experienced in addiction who can then say, are you done now? Right. What can we move forward? Yeah. Can we get your Hep C treated? You know, let's get you tested for yeah. HIV and and uh, and and Hep C and, and treat it. So it's a very compassionate way to look at it. But you know, people hear needle exchange. They they hear uh, injection sites. They they see government supported drug abuse mm-hmm. and by a proxy criminality. I think it's seen that. Well, it's criminality because it's been defined as criminal activity. Because it's so you need to change the the definition of it as criminal activity, right? I mean, that's got to be that's got to be the first step. A really interesting point, as you know, I I abused Ritalin quite a bit in high school and college. I didn't have cocaine, Uh, and one of Gabor's um, points here, he says, um, when they're talking about harm reduction for cocaine, Mm -hmm. he says Ritalin. He's actually used. On some of his patients who are abusing cocaine. Does it work? He says it does. He says his patients, he has a lot of really interesting accounts with his uh, patients. That's the first half of the book where he discusses some of his, you know, bottom dwelling patients, you know, at the bottom of their addiction. That, so he prescribes them Ritalin, and what do they do with it? They snort it? They it, it, if he Because he's a harm reduction guy, right? Right. So because he has a relationship with them, mm-hmm. and he's been, you know, they come to him uh, because they can't afford to go anywhere, and, um, and, it, and they make a relationship with him. So he's in a place where if he says, listen, you want to get off this cocaine, and usually in, at the depth, you know, they're, they usually, if they say yes, um, then he can feel good about 
testing out, will you take this medication I give you as, as directed? Mm. You know, I mean, and then it's out of his hands, of course, once, once a person right. gets that, but he says for his patients that he feels like will do it and that do, and he keeps seeing them, yeah. it actually stopped them from doing Coke because I remember that's I, amazing. I was addicted to cocaine also when I had no more Ritalin. And, um, I was always told that there is no like medication to help. Like there's Suboxone for heroin, right? There's Naltrexone for drinking mm-hmm. and, and abuse. Um, and, and yes, I know what you're saying out there. Naltrexone's for heroin. Actually, it was originally developed for alcohol, for alcohol abuse right. and then was later discovered that it, you know, blocks opiates. But it, isn't Ritalin just uh, amphetamines? It's, it's, yeah, it's an, it's an amphetamine. But just that oh, okay. is harm reduction coke, though. So you're still supplementing that person with whatever it is they needed, but at a regulated level. Mm-hmm. that's safe. But then they have to get off the Ritalin at some point. So right? just like every other drug you take, you titrate, titrate, mm-hmm. off, you slowly go off. And assuming that you've got this relationship now with this person, mm-hmm. that they trust you, they start to maybe follow along a little bit because they ain't listening to their friend who's doing it with them and they're not listening to their mother who abused them and they're not listening to a politician who calls them a criminal, but they'll listen to Gabor, Dr. So, Monte. So this all has to be accompanied by extensive therapy, right? Because people are abusing these things in the first therapy. place because, um, great point, you know, because they can't handle the stuff that's going on inside their head when they're not, you know, taking drugs, right? Therapy I mean, so. is a huge piece. And I think if we're talking about spending money, developing safe injection sites, and we're talking about, you know, f- funding needle exchanges and helping uh, people with no insurance get the help they need. I think that there should be a base level of, uh, of therapy that people can have for free by the local ha- or has federal to be. If you're going to provide it, medical treatment, so important. if you're going to provide medical treatment for the body, you have to provide medical treatment for the mind, especially if addiction is a multi-pronged yeah. uh, problem. So, I mean, I think my big takeaway from this week's discussion of Gabor Mate's, Dr. Mate's uh, In the Realm of Hungry Goats for me is, and this was an epiphany I had when I was listening to it and talking to you and thinking about it, which is what I do all week, uh, is that, yes, uh, there needs to be a, a base level provided therapy, especially for people who are going through harm reduction programs or uh, any kind of, you know, like you should be able to to get that without worrying. Like, a, But right. that's a lot of money and people don't want to spend money. No one wants to spend money, except when they're buying tanks. Right. And there's plenty of money out there. It's plenty just of money. it's being spent on that's, that's at issue. But I mean, the... the there needs to be a discussion on how we change the way we look at addiction in this country. I mean, other countries seem to seem to have cracked this code. Portugal, you know, some of the Western European countries have got, have got you know, decriminalized drugs and ha- have seen a reduction in the number of addicts based on the way they've been pursuing uh, recovery uh, and funding it as opposed to being punitive about it like we are here. We're, this country can be so backwards sometimes in, in its approach to things. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I think... It's like, you know, a cop goes out on the street and he sees this guy shooting up in an alley. To him, that's, he looks at that like that's a crime, right? Right. Not a sick person. It's not, yeah. I don't know. Some, some out there do. I've seen some documentaries about police officers who are very compassionate. I mean, it's, it's definitely the minority that... Because they've got a lot to, to worry about as it is. You know, they're not trained mental right. professionals. So money's got to go there too. So where's all this money coming from? Oh, well. And let's <laughs> let's close our, our week two discussion. We, we've got more to talk about. But I think this is a good place to uh, to close out uh, our week two on Gabor Mate. <laughs> yeah, if anyone's still listening. I know. Um, and I think it's time to go to the news. Yeah. Recovery in the news this week. This week, very apropos of our discussion of a minute ago, uh, this is a. That's you keep mixing it up every week. Um, this is an editorial from the Cincinnati Inquirer uh, of December sixteenth. Ohio lawmakers have a chance to end their lame duck session at the state house on a high note by passing the largest criminal justice reforms in the state in years. What I was going to say, you, you haven't hit? done any sound anything. You got to do like little sound thingies that are funny. Oh, that's still playing. All right, never mind. All right, go on. <laughs> 
you're getting testy with me. <laughs> you, really, you really don't want that thing in there. All right, I'll take it out. Um, anyway, we're talking about Senate Bill 3 in Ohio, um, which is... Um, which would reclassify several felony-level drug possession charges as misdemeanors and divert divert offenders to treatment instead of prison. Um, So we were just talking about this, and um, the bill already passed the Senate in Ohio and would likely get strong support from the House of Representatives, but uh, law enforcement, prosecutors, and judges are opposed to it, and they say reducing felony possession charges to misdemeanors punishable by jail time but not prison will remove an effective tool for nudging people into treatment. Mm, it's a, that's definitely a good... Uh, so charging yeah. people with a felony and ruining their lives ruins with that your on life. their record... It ruins your life. As long as it gets them into treatment, yeah, right? That's their argument? I think that's ridiculous. That's, um, hmm. yeah, it kind of goes along with the, the gay bore stuff that we're talking about, that harm reduction and decriminalization. Um, it is not legalizing decriminalization. It is not legalizing. It, it's just t- not giving sick people felonies and locking them away from their families for 40 years. I mean, yeah. like the Rockefeller you drug give laws. somebody a felony, they can't get a job. They're going to no. reoffend. All because you, that's the only thing they can do to make money. So. The only thing you can do to make money with neck tattoos and a felony is drug counselor. Right. That's why there's so many addict drug counselors. Uh, I think we said that last week, but I mean, it, I mean, it, it just bears repeating. To me, it just seems like I want I mean, to be law enforcement, counselor. prosecutors, and judges being opposed to this. To me, just seems like it's either willful ignorance or there's some other something else going on here. Some other motivating factor at work. You know, for prison, for profit, profit prisons, prisons or something, you 100%. know, because I don't see how you could possibly oppose this, but follow the money, everybody. Yeah. And that's recovery in the news. Yeah. So, um, I'm not getting testy with you, by the way. <laughs> um, I'm not, I'm not, I'm very, I'm on a, I'm on a. Manic up swing right now. So I'm doing a million <laughs> things at once, so I'm not trying to... In any case, um, oh, you got more stuff here. Do I? Oh, no, no. That's what you just read. So, This Week in Weird. Coded message from ser- serial killer solved. A 51-year-old mystery surrounding a message from a notorious serial killer may have finally been solved. Amateur codebreakers from three different con- count- countries work together to break the so-called... 340 cipher sent to the San Francisco Chronicle in November 1969 from the notorious Zodiac killer who terrorized the Bay Area from late 60s and early 70s. His identity remains unknown. And that's from coast to coast AM. Um, so what was it? <laughs> what was in the message? You have to go to our website, click on the <laughs> link to find out. You know, there's been a lot of people who have claimed to have solved the Zodiac Cypher over the years. I love those documents. I got sick of them eventually, but mm-hmm. I watched that. It's very interesting. I listen to a couple of good podcasts on Zodiac. Oh, you do? Yeah, really my, good. My theory is it's a lot of it's gibberish, and he threw it in there so you can't break it. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's just like, you, you know, garbage in, garbage out. You can't figure out a code if it doesn't make sense. Plus, like, the Zodiac Killer is... He didn't kill all that many people. Like there, there was a, a, a lot of murders that were attributed to the Zodiac Killer that people now think were not. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Anyway. So that's This Week in Weird. That's it. All right, guys. Thank you. Thank you. This has been a really long show, and we appreciate everybody hanging in there and um, listening. Have a lovely day, assholes. <laughs> Follow us on Facebook, Twitter. Twit us a twat, you twit. Twit. Twat us a tweet, you twat. No. Instagram, Apple Podcast, or wherever great podcasts are sold. Please rate, review, subscribe. Good reviews will be read on the air. Visit us at middleagesrecovery.com and submit your story for our um, My Story segment. Um, How about when this is over, we go do a little coke? As we say, non proficiat perfectum. Progress, not perfection. Have a great week, guys. See you next time. Good. Thank you.